Welcome to the CCF Podcast. We're a campus ministry at Truman State University. This podcast features sermons from our weekly worship services. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Would you please uh, stand for our scripture reading this morning? Uh, we have two sections. The first one is from Exodus ten twenty one. And the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the heavens, that there be darkness upon the land of Egypt, a darkness one can feel. And then from Exodus 15, 20 and 21, and Miriam the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took the timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and dances, and Miriam sang out to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has surged, O oh, surged, horse and its rider, he hurled into the sea. Thank you. You may be seated. Uh, before I get started, uh, just a quick note about this sermon. And first, a reminder about uh, the whole vibe of dispatches from the Exodus in general, uh, this whole year, we have been reflecting our way around Exodus, not even through it from start to finish, uh, but in keeping with the weird nature of house church and podcast recorded sermons and all of that, uh, we've been just the feel of the sermons has been a little bit different. They've been uh, a little less teachy, a little less uh, dive deep into the text and more uh, seeing what strikes us as we wander through this pandemic, seeing what strikes us from Exodus, and, and then uh, speaking on that more briefly, uh, maybe a little less formally, um, more reflectively. Uh, so in keeping with that, uh, and I think this fits well, there, there's a thing that I've actually done throughout the past at CCF uh, from time to time. Uh, maybe once a semester, sometimes not in a semester, but where I feel like the best way to communicate whatever it is that I want to communicate uh, is less in a me lecturing you or preaching to you uh, and more as if I were going to sit down and say it to one of my children. I have three boys who are almost 11 and 9 and 7, turning 7 this year. Um and so I will structure the sermon, if you want to call it that, as a letter to my kids. And usually if you were in Violet 1000, I'd be sitting in a chair down front, like an armchair that I would bring in and there'd be a lamp there and the lights would be down. Uh, and it would be something that I would just read as if to them, but for all of you too. And so that's that's what it is this morning. So uh, if you want to imagine me sitting in an armchair down in Violet 1000, that's great. Uh, but, but that's, so if you've not been to CCF before, this is a little different. Don't be completely thrown off. Uh, it's, it's a letter to my kid. Um, and that's the sermon. So without further ado, uh, this is dispatches from the Exodus, a letter to my son regarding the darkness or this fear sitting on my chest or the gospel of Miriam or Jesus beyond the edge of the lamplight. Dear Briggs. It's been cool that you've been sitting in on all the Exodus sermons this semester. I've been paying attention, and I'm super impressed with how well you've paid attention, especially since we've talked about a lot of things that I'm guessing don't make total sense to you. You know, we talked about things like wandering and making bricks and manna gathering. 
But there's a thing that's been on my mind in this book that I think maybe would connect with you. So hang with me for a second and hopefully that'll become clear. I know it's been hard sleeping. It seems like practically your whole life you've suffered under this, well, I I don't know exactly what. Waking up every night, 1 or 2 a.m., instantly aware of the darkness pressing in on you from every direction. The solitary stillness is terrifying. And it's been so regular for you for so long that you've started to feel afraid even to go to sleep. Sure that your dreams will again be all crows and teeth and knowing that you'll be up again alone, unable either to run or to lay still. I know it's hard. It's not your fault. No one thinks that. We love you always. But I admit that I used to think it was something that you could just control with a few mental exercises. Try thinking about something happy or silly instead, we said. But I was wrong. You told me once that it wasn't like you were having scary thoughts and just needed to have nice ones. You said that the fear was like a snake's venom that got into your bloodstream and creeped to your heart and stopped it so that no thoughts of any kind at all could go in or out. It was in your body and you were paralyzed. We haven't known what to do. Among a hundred other things, we started leaving the lamp on in the living room because we thought it would help, but it didn't. You said it was still there. You said there was this opponent lurking just beyond the edge of the lamp's light, watching in the darkness where he could see you, but you could not see him. I gotta say, you've got a poet's heart, man. You articulate it so well. It reminds me of this line in Exodus, and I think about it every time I think about you laying there at night. So you know the ten plagues. They're like this bizarro world counterpart to the Ten Commandments. They're what God uses to try to change Pharaoh's heart. Just by the way, most people think that Exodus is about God getting the slaves free, But I think deep down, it could also be a story about how God really wants Pharaoh to soften up and be changed. We can talk more about that when you're older. Anyway, the ninth plague is different from all the ones that come before it. It's not about earthy things like water or cows or bugs or disease. It's about light and darkness. God is going with a new strategy against Pharaoh. So he tells Moses, stretch out your hand over the heavens that there be darkness upon the land of Egypt. And then Briggs, it says this, this part that I can't stop thinking about. Darkness upon the land of Egypt, a darkness one can feel. A darkness one can feel. Geez, speaking of poetry. Like murder in the dark on spring break, when we have the perfect room for it. No lights, no windows, not even light seeping in at the edges of the doors. It's a darkness so total that even when you're walking through it, you can't tell if you're moving anywhere. And it isolates you from everyone. Heavy, alone. You know what that's like. That's a darkness God brought on Pharaoh in Egypt. But hear me, I'm not saying the darkness that you fear at night is something that God is causing I don't think God is doing that, but I guess I don't really know for sure. What I do believe really strongly is that he's not wanting to make you afraid ever. But I bring it up, Briggs, because I want to say that wherever they come from, the darkness that can be felt, the isolation, they're real things. And what you have felt is appropriate. 
See, for, for a while, I thought your fear was just a childlike response. And I guess I honestly thought it was kind of a misguided one. Like, if you were only a little older or stronger or more level-headed, maybe you wouldn't be afraid. I'm not proud that I thought that, and I'm sorry I was wrong. I see now, though, that fear isn't just a trick of the mind. I'd forgotten that it can also be more like a paralyzing presence that you feel in your body, in your heart. The truth is, there was a time when I knew that fear myself. When I was 21, when mom and I were first married, there was this period of like months, several months, where I started having nightmares every single night scary things like what you probably have and they were vivid and real like I remember I could smell things in those dreams and when I would wake up even after the thought of the nightmare went away when I when I knew that I was safe I would still feel this fear like it was someone sitting on my chest us grown-ups we have a way of forgetting what that kind of fear is like a dark house a darkness in the house really can be creepy in the middle of the night. Not just our house, though, Briggs. As you get older, you'll see that the world outside all around is also quite often a place of darkness. There's different kinds. Sometimes it's a kind of darkness that we talk a lot about at CCF, like the darkness around us. To me, this darkness is kind of summed up in a contrast in, in the book of Genesis, actually. So you know that opening part that we read together? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. So the scripture begins and immediately opens up with expansiveness and possibility and light. Life is good. God makes things grow and thrive. But along with the beginning, there's also the end of Genesis, and Joseph died, 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Last words. We haven't even made it through the first book before the expansiveness and possibility and light have given way to the deathly claustrophobia of a coffin in Egypt, where, you know, the Israelites were slaves, which is another horrible kind of darkness. That, that's how it ends. That's the final line, a sort of dark companion or bookend to the first. At CCF, uh, when we talk about this coffin in Pharaoh's Egypt darkness, and we do like to talk about it, uh, we use big words like systemic or communal or injustice or oppression. We talk about things that steal our value and dignity. We say dehumanize. Stories like the one about Pharaoh forcing the Israelites to make more bricks are about this. We also talk a lot about things like idolatry and unfaithfulness. We say big words like ultimate concern, ask Derek about that one, and consider how we devote ourselves to ideas and forces and powers that aren't God and how that throws the world into a tailspin. So the story of the golden calf is about this. And all of that is a real kind of darkness in the world around us but it's not a darkness that I expect you to really recognize or care about just yet, and that's okay. There's also the darkness that, for you, is hopefully known so far mostly just through movies in the news. It's like the darkness between us. This is the kind of stuff that the Ten Commandments are fighting against. Things that you've imagined in the night, like someone breaking into our house and hurting us. It's the darkness that we do to one another, whether we mean to or not. 
cutting each other down with lies or cutting each other down with the truth, your friend ignoring you in the hallway, abuse, loneliness, misunderstanding, and yes, even robbers and murderers. All this darkness is real too. It's not everywhere all of the time, but the truth is that I can't, I can't promise that any of these things will never happen to you. I wish I could, but I can't. And then, of course, there is the darkness that you, I'm sorry to say, have become acquainted with. The darkness one can feel. The darkness right next to us in the night. Maybe even the darkness within us. The fear that can't be explained or rationalized. The opponent at the edge of the light. The venom in the heart. That presence. Some of us have it so good that we forget that these different kinds of darkness are real. But these darknesses we could feel too, if only we'd have the courage to pay attention to it. Like I said, I wish I could tell you that it's not real, or that I know why it's there, or that I know exactly what we should do about it, but I don't. If I could, or if I did, we wouldn't need a gospel. But here is what I want to tell you, Briggs. There is a gospel. The gospel is news, big news, good news, like something so important that you can't help but blurt it out to your friends first thing before school in the morning, like when you want to tell them about that new uh, Nerf gun you got. In Exodus, it sounds like this, and Miriam sang out to them, sing to the Lord for he has surged, oh surged, horse and its rider he hurled into the sea. He surged, Briggs. Pharaoh and his huge army of chariots and riders were chasing after the helpless Israelites, and God drowned them in the sea. Even with the whole fearsome might of Egypt behind him, Pharaoh could not win against God. And not only was Pharaoh defeated, but his whole way of life that he had made for the Israelites was overthrown. No more bricks, no more slavery. Miriam's song is a declaration that all darkness, the darkness around us, the darkness between us, even the darkness pressing in on just you in the night, all of it God has swallowed up with the sea. Better yet, swallowed up by his very light. This is about Jesus, Briggs. He descended all the way down into deep, deepest darkness, like the deepest coldest, heaviest darkness at the bottom of the sea. All our darkness. We were just talking about this last week during Holy Week at Grandma and Grandpa's church. The crucifixion, the day after, that long, ongoing Saturday between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. He descended, and I believe is still always descending into that darkness. The darkness of the horrors that we do to each other, the darkness in our hearts, the darkness in your room at night, the darkness at the edge of the lamplight, he goes even there. But Miriam's news is that the darkness cannot contain him, cannot keep his light back, it cannot even understand him. There's this line in 1 John, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And in 2 Corinthians, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, remember that way back in the beginning, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ 
Briggs, where that venom goes in and seems to stop everything. God has shined the light even there. And then my favorite from the Gospel of John. In the beginning, just like in Genesis, was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And and here's the kicker, buddy. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You remember the darkness of Joseph's tomb at the end of Genesis that we thought had maybe swallowed up God's creation light? It turns out it was only a day because the light rose again on the third day and now shines everywhere always. And what that means for you now, Briggs, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's from Colossians. This is about kingdoms and powers, Briggs, just like Pharaoh and Egypt. Horse and rider, he has thrown, he's hurled into the sea. The darkness, though it feels so real and right there, is powerless in God's kingdom. And we live there, Briggs. We are with him, the light in whom there is no darkness. I know I sound silly when I say this, but in the way that fear is more than an idea, Jesus is more than an idea too. He is a presence. He is the presence. And man, I think I spent a lot of my adult life thinking of Jesus only as an idea. That's probably why my response to your fear was to try to change your thinking when what you really needed was a presence. And that's what I want to tell you, B. For as real as the darkness is, this darkness you feel so deeply every night and it seems to pervade the world around us, the light is just as real, even realer, actually. And it, too, is a presence, something that can be felt. For reasons that I don't really understand, though the light is brighter, it can be harder to see. And though the presence is stronger, it can be harder to sense but it's something that can be believed and leaned into and trusted. The light is stronger than the dark. Grace is stronger than fear. Love is stronger than anything. This light, this grace, this love is God. He has thrown horse and rider into the sea. And if you can bring yourself to it, you can learn to lean into God in the darkness. I hope you do. And for as long as you're learning to, you can lean on me too. I love you. Dad.